Well, I hope you're ready for a cold week, but you know what? It's warm in our hearts here on Roadmap to Heaven. I'm Adam Wright with you on this Monday morning, December 19th, and so happy to be here as always. Let's begin our week together in prayer. Let's begin our day together in prayer. We pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. Hail and blessed be the hour and moment in which the Son of God was born of the most pure Virgin Mary at midnight in Bethlehem in the piercing cold. In that hour vouchsafe, we beseech thee, O God, to hear our prayer and grant our desires through the merits of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and of his blessed Mother. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we are coming down to the wire in this season of Advent. We are in the final stretch here, week four. As my pastor called it yesterday morning, Behold Week. There's a lot to behold. And, you know, I think the single greatest thing, he said a lot of good things in this homily, and the single greatest thing was this. This week, at some point every day, just for a few minutes, sit down on the couch, turn off the TV, turn off the phone, turn off the computer, and dare I say, turn off the radio even, and just spend a few minutes in quiet contemplating, beholding the mystery of the incarnation and why Christ would take on human nature and become like us. And that is, that's the homework for the week, great homework for us from my pastor. On the show today, we're going to actually take a look back at the previous year, some of the things we're grateful for. This is our final week of shows for the calendar year, and... Um, we want to take a look at some of the best segments we've aired this year. So that's what's on tap. I'm not going to tell you what's what today. You have to wait till we get to the segments. But uh, we've got two good ones for you. Mike Roberts has the day off today. Uh, and I'm just going to say this. Look at your weather forecasts for where you are. Why? Because for every last one of us, by the week's end, it is going to be cold. And I mean frigid. I went yesterday and dug out the face mask, the goggles, all the stuff you'd wear on the ski slopes. That's how cold it's going to be. The snow pants, the parkas, I'm going to need them. I'm going to need them, and you might too. Uh, But we do have the saint of the day for you from Mike Roberts, so let's go find out more about our saint of the day. Today is the feast day of Blessed Pope Urban V. Born in France in 1310 at the Castle of Grisac, His baptismal name was Guillaume Grimaud, and he was the second son of the Lord of Belgrade. He had a sister and two brothers, one of whom would become a cardinal. After becoming a Benedictine monk, he was ordained into the priesthood in 1334. Guillaume earned a doctorate in law in 1332 and was named abbot ten years later. He also served as a papal diplomat and bishop. In 1362, when Pope Innocent VI died, the College of Cardinals elected the brother of Pope Clement VI, but he declined, so they turned to Guillaume in spite of the fact that he was not a cardinal. Choosing the name Urban, he continued to follow his roots using the rule of St. Benedict and often wearing a monk's hat. Noted for his faith, intelligence, virtue, and honesty, Urban was a great gift at a time when the church in Europe was plagued by scandal and corruption. The fact that he lived in simplicity and modesty did not sit well with the clergymen of his time who had become used to comfort and privilege. 
Urban pressed for reform and restored many churches and monasteries. He brokered peace between the French and Italian kings, founded numerous universities, and oversaw the Crusades. Urban came close, but he was not able to achieve one of his biggest goals, reuniting the Eastern and Western churches. At the urging of St. Catherine of Siena, he returned the papacy to Rome, ending the Avion exile of the popes, which began in 1309. Shortly before his death, he asked to be moved from the papal palace to the nearby home of his brother, so he could say goodbye to the ordinary people he had so often helped. On this day in 1370, as he lay dying, he called to them, asking them to surround his bed, saying, the people must see how a pope dies. Blessed Urban V, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a great day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. A prayer to Saint Joseph. O blessed Joseph, faithful guardian of my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, protector of thy chaste spouse, the Virgin Mother of God, I choose thee this day to be my special patron and advocate and I firmly resolve to honor thee all the days of my life. Therefore, I humbly beseech thee to receive me as thy client, to instruct me in every doubt, to comfort me in every affliction, to obtain for me and for all the knowledge and love of the heart of Jesus, and finally, to defend and protect me at the hour of my death. Amen. As we mentioned at the top of the show, this week we're going to be taking a look back at some of our favorite segments of 2022. And our first one takes us back to the month of May when we were able to sit down with a priest who lives locally, Father Michael Geisler from the West Pine Study Center, to talk about, well, the mystery of co-redemption. You know, we are focusing on the incarnation this week, and yet God who came to save us, invites us to be part of the plan. And what does that mean? Well, let's go back to these words we had with Father Michael Geisler. Well, here we are, Roadmap on the Road once again. And I have to say, this is not a new destination for me, friends, but one that I was very fortunate many years ago to have my friend Brian say, Adam, why don't you come with me this Tuesday evening for a reflection for men There'll be other men just like you, and, and the best part, our Lord will be present in the Blessed Sacrament as well. There'll be an opportunity for confession, and it was the first of many beautiful evenings I spent at the West Pine Study Center many years ago, and I'm happy to be back here today with the show, talking with Father Michael Geisler. Father, you're so kind to host us. It's very good to be with you today. Well, it's good to be with you, Adam. It's always a pleasure to appear somehow on Covenant Network and all the good you're doing. Well, thank you. Really, thank for, you. For St. Louis. Well, speaking of the good that's being done, you have a new book out titled How Christ Saves Souls with Us, The Mystery of Co-Redemption. Let's talk about that for a moment, because this is a term we, we've heard before, co-redemption, but I, I sometimes forget myself that part with us. Christ saves souls. I focus on that. How is that? How are we working with Christ to save souls when I think of him as the Redeemer? Yes, well, of course, he is the Redeemer. He's the only uh, one who redeems us by his death and resurrection and life, by the way. His ordinary life, he redeems us in ordinary life also. But because of his goodness, because of his power, I, he lets us share in the action. Let's put it that way. We share in the action of redemption by being part of his mystical body. 
And by sharing in that action, he actually gives us graces to redeem others, to bring others closer to him in ordinary life, through suffering, family, all sorts of different places. So co-redemption is that active participation in Jesus' redemption of the world that we can all do. That's a definition. So not passive. It's not enough for me just to show up and sit in a pew and expect the world to be transformed by my showing up and sitting in a pew. No, I... <laughs> although please keep going to Mass yes. on Sunday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's great. I mean, in, in a sense, just being there and praying at Mass is a wonderful thing. But yes, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're also called to participate in redemption in many practical ways throughout your life. Now, I'd like to ask about the word mystery, the mystery of co-redemption, because surely our Lord could redeem the world without our help, and yet he invites us to be part of this. That's true. He told his disciples, go forth and preach to all peoples. He also said, he who hears you hears me. That's a rather direct invitation for us to get into the action. So yes, uh, he could redeem the world simply himself with one fiat, with one act of the will, but he does want us to be his instruments, to be his tongue, his arms, his feet, his legs, everything to redeem the world. So that's our great privilege, but we can't be passive, as you say. We have to actively try to pray and help Jesus in redeeming the world. I think of the many readings we've been hearing in the Easter season from the Acts of the Apostles, and I think to myself, wow, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could be called to go do such great things? But, Father, if I'm being honest, the... uh, Life of Adam Wright is pretty much an average, ordinary life, but that's okay because your book outlines seven different areas of average, ordinary life where we can actively take part with Christ in this work to transform the world and bring it to God. That's correct. I'd like to start um, in the home, if we may, with with our family, with our marriages. Um, How is it that in the home we can do this work? Well, I would say principally even in the home you need to do that work because I have a chapter in the book about co-redemptive matrimony or co-redemptive marriage, which isn't often used, that expression isn't used, but really you can say that a man and a woman who really love each other, who respect and pray with one another to God, they are redeeming their children by their good example, by their love for one another, by actually educating the children in virtue and prayer in the home, they are participating in redemption simply by that good marriage which they have. And the children, the same way, when they respect and love their parents, they are participating with Christ in redeeming the home, redeeming the world. So I think home is where the principal action is of redemption in so many ways. Now, when we talk about that, we also realize that in 2022, the family has come under tremendous attack, and and we're very candid on the show to say it's hard to be Catholic in this day and age with all of the pressure of the secular world, which really stems from that supernatural battle of good and evil, the devil trying to bring us down. What are some of the biggest obstacles you see families encounter in your work, and and what are some of the ways that you encourage them to overcome those obstacles? Well, one way certainly is the uh, example, perhaps the bad example, out there in the secular world, which can be seen social media, television, movies, even people's conversations, which are not in favor of the family or the moral law, 
And of course, we're all praying very much for pro-life issues these days with the Supreme Court decision, etc. But that's an example, just one example of a secular attitude which really hurts Catholics and hurts families. So yes, that's one big obstacle, the, the kind of the secular view of the world without God. Another obstacle might be just the ignorance and indifference of many fellow Christians, and unfortunately even many fellow Catholics who don't seem to know their faith very well or care about their faith. This can be a very difficult thing for husbands and wives and for children. If their fellow Catholics aren't really engaged in the faith, it can hurt their own faith. Uh, and then thirdly, I would say it's just our own weaknesses. I mean, we all have to struggle against our own lack of faith many times, our laziness, indifference. These are all battles we all face in order to co-redeem. Not easy, but co-redemption is not really something we do on our own. It's a grace. I think right. we were talking about that before. It's we, a grace. We were talking about that before the interview that... Um all of this, I mean, it'd be easy to say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do this work. But as, as my uh, friend and our, our good friend of the station, Father Zach Edgar, reminds me, Adam, don't be a Pelagian. This isn't you. It's God's grace. You cannot do it without it. And an interior life of prayer, frequent reception of the sacraments are vital to this. And, and you know, we joked earlier about don't just sit in a pew, but actually that is a large part of it, is spending that time in prayer with our Lord. How does the interior life and that life of prayer and sacraments help us to do this active work? Well, as we were just discussing, prayer and interior life bring grace to the soul, actual graces and sanctifying grace to the soul. And without grace, we cannot really co-redeem. Because if we thought we could co-redeem on our own, we would be Pelagians, we would be proud, arrogant. But the whole thing is the Redeemer himself and the Blessed Mother, who is co-redemptrix par excellence. She is so wonderful in redeeming and with her son. But we need that help to really conquer ourselves and the world. So yes, prayer and the sacraments are absolutely necessary if we're going to help in redemption. You brought up the Blessed Mother, so of course we have to turn to her oh, in, yes. in this month of May. Uh, the book is a great place to start for how to participate in this mystery of co-redemption, but you said she's the co-redemptrix. If, if you want to look to the model of exactly what it means to be a co-redeemer, we have to look no farther than the Blessed Mother herself. What are the lessons that she teaches us? Well, first of all is uh, personal uh, love, for God above all things. Uh, there is no greater formula for redemption than to love God above all things. And she did in her life. And particularly in her moment of vocation when the angel Gabriel appeared to her and she said, let it be done unto me according to your word. That is where redemption began. Redemption began inside of her when she received the Holy Spirit and the love of God inside of her. And she never lost that love, and she never lost that faith. And for this reason, I think you can say every action that, that she did on earth in union with her son was co-redemptive. Every action was co-redemptive because she was always motivated by love and faith in God. And that's what we all have to imitate in some way if we are going to be co-redeemers. She is the one to imitate par excellence, 
the biggest one, the best one. Yeah, that's that's why I love the mysteries of the rosary because they give me such a great focal point to think about those times and those images of the Blessed Mother spending, you know, if we talk just about the Annunciation, yes, how she so easily said yes and how it's a struggle for me to say yes sometimes, <laughs> um, which yes. actually... Oh, go ahead. No, I say join the group, join, join right. the crowd. <laughs> well, and, and it's hard, it's hard. That leads me to my next point, that you've said this before, we are going to face temptations as we try to do this, and, and I often think the more we try to engage in the spiritual life and to move closer to our Lord, the more the devil wants to push back against us. And one of my favorite things about Opus Dei and St. Jose Maria Escrivá is the heroic moment, that first <laughs> moment oh, yeah. of the day when the alarm clock goes off. We've talked about it on the show before, but never with someone uh, from Opus Dei. So, Father, I'd like to ask you, why is that heroic moment, that first moment of the day? I, I, I never would have thought of the alarm clock going off and instead of hitting snooze, waking up, being an act of <laughs> heroism. Why is that? Yes. Well, why is that? Uh, I guess the proof is in the pudding, isn't it? The proof is in actually trying to do it. It is not easy. Now, some people are morning persons, and they do get up naturally and with vigor and with joy, but some of us are not that way. Uh, so, But it's heroic in the sense that our body or laziness or whatever wants to press the snooze alarm, does not want to get up. But the whole idea of heroism is that you overcome your natural tendency to do something better and to get up on time and, by the way, to connect it with prayer. It's not simply getting up on time, because that would be Pelagian, right? That would be simply, do good, my will is strong, I get up on time, aren't I a tough guy? I got up on time today. No, get up on time and do a morning offering. Let the Lord know that everything you're doing today is going to be for Him in union with His Sacred Heart and the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Then you have heroism connected with God. And that's the real meaning of the heroic moment. It's not just willpower, it's willpower plus prayer. I love it. And that, that becomes co-redemptive right from the very first moment of your day you can start redeeming. I find there's a natural rhythm to these things that if, if you are successful with something early in the day, you say, all right, you, you had that moment where you did not hit snooze. You woke up <laughs> yes. and, and you offered that to the Lord. And now the next temptation is knocking on the door. You know, sometimes for me, it's, I really need to eat this bowl of healthy cereal or, or have a healthy breakfast, but I really want to go get that 10,000 calorie <laughs> breakfast sandwich. Uh, but Adam, you know what? You and God have already had a moment where you've been able to conquer a temptation today. Let this be another one. Be on a roll. Yes. The old saying is, well begun is half done. All right. Here, how about that? Well begun is half done. And that applies to the heroic moment because right from the start you can be praying and really participating somehow in redemption at that very moment. All right. Well, friends, we've only begun to scratch the surface of this. If you would like to know more about the mystery of co-redemption and how you can actively participate in this mystery, the book is How Christ Saves Souls with Us, The Mystery of Co-Redemption by Father Michael Geisler. Father, where can our listeners find a copy of the book? Well, the publisher is uh, Emmaus Road uh, Publishing in Steubenville. That's the group associated, of course, with Dr. Scott Hahn. They're the publisher. I think any Catholic bookstore, I, I think the Daughters of St. Paul are carrying it. I, I spoke with Sister the other day. I think they're going to order some. And uh, many Catholic bookstores will be getting them 
it was just published two months ago, so it takes a little time for the Catholic bookstores to get them. But I would say immediately with Emmaus Road Publishers. And then we've talked a lot about the work that happens here at West Pine and, and that you do here in St. Louis. Where can our listeners find out more information about, the, say, the Men's Evening of Reflection or the Ladies' Evening of Reflection? Yes, well, both uh, the centers here have websites. And um, I think everybody's probably electronically engaged here in your audience. So uh, if you'd like to know more about the section of the activities of the Women's Center, you could just Google lindelstudycenter.org. That's Lindell as in the name of the street by Central West End, Lindell, lindelstudycenter.org. And you have all the different activities that the women offer for women in the St. Louis area. And for the men, it was called, it's called West Pine Study Center. Without a T, by the way, W-E-S-P-I-N-E dot org. And there you have uh, different activities of the Opus Dei here for men. Father-son clubs and recollections and all sorts of things. Wonderful. Finally, Father, could I ask you to lead us in a prayer to close our time together? Yes. Well, may the Lord bless all the families listening and all the children listening with their parents at this time, and may all of us have the openness and courage to help Jesus in our way in redeeming the world and helping all souls around us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We will be back. Stay tuned. Prayer for Vocations God, our Father, who wills that all men be saved, and come to the knowledge of your truth, we beg you to send laborers into your harvest and grant them grace to speak your word with all boldness so that your word may spread and be glorified and all nations may know you, the only God, and him whom you have sent, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Our Lady Queen of the Americas and Mary, Mother of the Franciscan Missionaries of the Eternal Word, Pray for us. As we continue to look back at some of the best segments of 2022, or maybe better said, our personal favorites, I'm going to turn now to a longtime friend of Covenant Network, Monsignor Michael Witt, who stopped by earlier this year to talk with us about the virtue found in suffering. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. It is always a treat when Monsignor Michael Witt comes to visit us in the studios for two reasons. Number one, uh, his wealth of knowledge about the Archdiocese of St. Louis and uh, really our history here in the Midwest of Catholicism is intriguing and fascinating. And number two, he always brings his dog with him, which I love. I think we should have a dog in the radio station every day. Monsignor, great to have you with us this morning. Thanks. Thanks for welcoming me and uh, Ryan. All right. Well, you know, uh, we are here today to talk about suffering. Yeah. Um, as we are in the season of Lent, it is a time that, you know, perhaps uh, as a child, Maybe I thought my suffering was on a Friday evening home from school and opening the fridge, what's to eat, and seeing that big deli bag of, of salami and saying, oh, that'd be wonderful right now. But alas, it's Friday. Woe is me. Woe is me. Look at my suffering. Isn't it great? And as I, uh, you know, I, I was mentioning a few weeks ago, as I've gotten older and my body has gotten older, I have mm -hmm. learned uh, new ways of suffering <laughs> that I did not even know of in my youth. 
And rather than hide from them, that's a great invitation for us as we journey through the season of Lent. Right, yeah. yeah. I'd like to give two examples of redemptive suffering that I came across actually when I was in the seminary, and it was at DePaul Hospital. And these, both of these cases really opened up my eyes. Remember that I was trained as an historian, not as a theologian. And so I, I had one year of, of uh, seminary theology under my belt when I was asked to live with uh, Monsignor Shockley downtown at St. Laborious, and then do my um, hospital ministry out at DePaul Hospital. So each day I drove out there, and, and one day um, I was asked to take communion to a number of people, and I went into one room. There was a young lady there, about 25 years old, mid-20s, and she was there because she was bleeding in the stomach. And the reason why she was bleeding in the stomach was that she had been kicked by her husband several times. I came and gave her communion, and um, I'll never forget her. I think her name was Rosario. After all these years, I remember that. And um, her eyes teared up, and and she said to me, "Um, why is this happening to me? And this was pretty big. She was actually from Mexico. She had left her family, her her town, um, her language, and came to the United States to be with this man, and now he had just really badly abused her so much that she was in the hospital. And it was serious enough that uh, the security was actually on that floor for fear that he might actually come and, and find her again. And, and so that's what that, this is. And, and then the me. And I didn't have a real good answer at first. And providentially, I looked over at the wall, and there was a crucifix there. And I said to her, look at that crucifix look at Christ on that on that cross he said he suffered and died for us and now he's asking you and me to participate in that suffering and offer your suffering up to him and unite that with with the cross and um I I, I assume she did she got transferred right after that to another location but later on I found myself um, studying St. Paul, and I came across this phrase. Now you know, I know you know it. <laughs> it's in Colossians, and it says this, And now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the affliction of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the church. Now take that apart. You know, the first part of that, I rejoice in my suffering. That's hard to get around. And then he he says this, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in the affliction of Christ. And and that shocks you at first. I mean, isn't Christ suffering his passion, his death, the cross, isn't that sufficient? Isn't that enough? And then you begin to realize that what Christ is doing is he's not just giving us the, the redemption, but he's also asking us not to be just the recipient of that grace, but rather to be participants in that. And that's what our suffering can do if we're willing to elevate that and and return that to him. And and so that was the example that I had with Rosario. And and then later on, uh, that that same summer, I I walked into another room and— I was not going to bring him communion, just a, a visit. He's actually a Pentecostal. 
and uh, his, his name was Danny Bell, and um, he was undergoing chemotherapy uh, for leukemia. And when I walked in, he looked up at me, and he had shriveled up. This was a, a he had been a big man. He'd lost about 100 pounds just that, that summer. And um, he looked up at me, and he said, look what's happened. And, and he was bald. He lost all of his hair. It's probably the only time in my life that I really was uh, happy about being bald also because um, what I, I, I patted my head and I said, you don't look so bad after all. <laughs> <laughs> and he bust out laughing, and we ended up with a friendship like you wouldn't believe. And then what happens is that every day I could, I, I dropped by Danny's room, and we visited with each other, and he had a Bible, I had a Bible, and we used to do find Bible quotes back and forth with each other. And uh, and one day, he was all excited, and he said, i, I got to read this to you. This is from St. Paul's letter to the Romans. And, and so this is the passage from the fifth chapter, and it goes like this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom... We have gained access by faith to this grace in which we stand, and we boast of the hope of the glory of God. And now this is the important part. This is the third verse. Okay? Not only that, but we even boast of our afflictions. We even boast of our afflictions, knowing that affliction produces endurance, and endurance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Now, being a Pentecostal, that last part about the Holy Spirit really jumped out at him. And, and I, I saw that, that play that, again, with the, um, the affliction and the suffering and how it can be redemptive. And so, you know, there it was. I just... Those two instances really stuck with me uh, ever since. Yeah, you know, as, as you've been saying this, I've been thinking about how uh, you know St. Paul says that line that, that confuses me every time, the afflictions that have been lacking in the body of Christ. Yeah. And yet, had this gentleman or this woman or you or I not willingly accepted to say, Lord, I'm suffering and I want to offer you this suffering, then it wouldn't, you know, we would still be suffering, but he's not going to make us accept it for the body of Christ. Only you and I can choose to do yeah. that. So yeah. it, it sounds like in all of this, um, there's a lesson for us and, and you know, very countercultural. The, the world is offering us all of these things to say, oh, you're suffering. Well, let's get rid of the suffering. Right. You yeah. know. But what is the lesson for us when it, when we find ourselves suffering, whether it's something dramatic that lands us in the hospital or perhaps that persistent hangnail that just won't seem to go away and hurts every time we take a step? Yeah, that's, that's, that's for sure. Um, I'll tell you, about three years ago, I was reading a biography of Loretta Young. And years back, I had the privilege of spending an evening with her, uh, about eight of us together. And uh, she was the most elegant woman, the way she moved was so artful, just absolutely beautiful uh, woman. And as I was reading the biography, um, there was a passage in which she had ended up in a hospital. I think this was in Phoenix. I'm not, I don't remember. Um, but um, 
she was in the hospital. She was in a lot of pain. And a, a, a religious sister came to visit her and was sitting with her. And, and in the biography mentions that she poured out all this pain and suffering that she was having to this sister. And the response was that the sister said to Loretta Young, she said, don't waste your suffering. And basically what she said then was um, offer it up. And, and as I'm reading his biography, and by now, you know, you talked about the kind of the, the personal pains that come with arthritis and all the other things. Um, that reminded me of something the sisters told me back when I was in grade school. I skinned my knee, offer it up. My mom used to say that all the time. She had no sympathy for my, my pains and sufferings. It was like, offer it up. And that's the redemptive suffering that I was talking about with Rosario. That's the redemptive suffering that Danny Bell was going through also. And, uh, and, and that's, I think, the lesson that we can all uh, learn from. It is. I'll offer it up. I remember recently our four-year-old had some, uh, she had a scrape or something, and she just wouldn't stop saying at bedtime. It, you know, it didn't bother her until bedtime. And then she would say, it hurts, it hurts, it really hurts. And I'd say, well, let's say a prayer and say, dear Jesus, please take this pain for the holy souls. And, um, you know, at, at this point, I, I, I doubt she has a con- the concept of who the holy souls are and how this is efficacious, but let's start planting that seed now. Yeah, that uh, you know, I can only put so many band aids on it, and they're not going to do anything. <laughs> but we can start. We can start in prayer, offering it up. Well, Monsignor, this is a great reminder for us in this season of Lent. Uh, perhaps whether it's the hunger pains on the days that we fast, mm. or you know, as the weather changes, it's always a time when uh, the the beginnings of my arthritis and my <laughs> musician's hands start to flare up, or my seasonal allergies kick in and my sinuses are miserable um it, it's a great invitation to offer it up could i ask you to uh, close us out with a prayer here this morning mm-hmm. let us remember that we're in god's holy presence in the name of the father son and holy spirit heavenly father you're the source of all blessings and we ask you this day to shower your blessings upon us upon all the efforts of this particular radio station upon all the audience that is listening in at this time We ask you to take our own diminishments, our own sufferings of various ways, large and small, unite those to the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ at at his passion. We pray all of this in his name. Amen. Amen. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. We'd like to thank Monsignor Michael Witt and Ryan the dog for being with us this morning. (laughs) We're going to take a break. Stay tuned. Prayer in a time of waiting. All-powerful and ever-living God, guard our churches, our homes, our schools, our hospitals, our factories, and all the places where we gather. Deliver us from harm and peril. Protect our land and the peoples from enemies within and without. Grant an early peace with victory founded upon justice. Instill in the hearts and minds of men and women everywhere a firm purpose to live forever in peace and goodwill toward all. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Here is our catechist question of the day, inspired by our saint of the day. Three popes have had, quote, the great, end quote, appended to their names. Can you name one of the three? Could you name two of the three? Could you name all three? Who are the three popes who have had the great appended to their names? 
The answers, uh, Pope St. Leo I, Pope St. Leo the Great, he reigned from 440 through 461 A.D. And then Pope St. Gregory the Great, Gregory I, who reigned from 590 until 604. And then the third is Pope St. Nicholas the Great, Pope St. Nicholas I, who reigned from 858 through 867. And, uh, you know, I remember shortly after St. John Paul II died, there was that big question, and perhaps the, you know the question remains unanswered. That the process is working out. Would would Saint John Paul II be Saint John Paul the Great? And who knows? It could happen. It could happen. I don't know. An interesting note about this: it's not an official proclamation from the Church. The Church, you know, while she declares blesseds and saints who's been beatified, who's been canonized, she does not declare. And this saint is great. She does declare doctors of the Church. But usually when, and, and actually in all the cases, when a pope is known as the great, it's by popular acclamation at the time of their death or throughout history itself. So there's a little bit for you. And maybe, you know, if God calls you to be pope one day, hopefully you would aspire to be great. Pardon me. It's also a good reminder to pray for the Holy Father and to pray for our bishops and to pray for our priests that they would continue to do God's will and that they would be great. You know, we want them all to be great, just like I want you to be great. I want me to be great. We all should be great. This past weekend, we started our fourth Sunday of Advent um, with Mass, and then we started getting the house ready. And it's one of those things that we had a great moment watching, you know, last week on Radiothon, we were talking with so many of our guests about the, the movies they like to watch or the traditions, the baking and, and the candies and the decorating and all of these things. And one thing I like to do every year is watch A Christmas Carol. It's a 1984 made-for-TV movie starring George C. Scott. And it was the first time I watched it with my two oldest daughters. I've always thought that towards the end, the ghost of Christmas yet to come would be a little too frightening for them. And it was a lot. I had to hold some hands throughout this point. But my one daughter said, you know, Dad, he's acting crazy. Why is he acting? You know, he was so mean and grumpy, and now he's he's crazy. He's going around giving everybody money and smiling and jumping and shouting. And I said, honey, that's the power of conversion. When you realize that you've been doing things wrong and you have that epiphany that enables you to see that there is something better we're called to, and you have that moment of conversion, there can be a lot of joy. And it was a great moment because it started a conversation about how she could have that conversion. Just I could have that conversion. You could have that conversion. Maybe not in such a dramatic way as Ebenezer Scrooge, but in some way every day. And the conversation continued to talk about why it's so important every day in our prayer to look where we can have those daily conversions and then we can have that joy too we're going to take another break for you here on roadmap to heaven when we come back from the break we'll have the daily dose of encouragement for you stay tuned we'll be back after this consecration to mary my queen and my mother i give myself entirely to you and to show my devotion to you i consecrate to you this day my eyes my ears, my mouth, my heart, my whole being without reserve. Wherefore, good mother, as I am your own, keep me, guard me, as your property and possession. Amen. 
We are counting down the final days of Advent as we get ready for the Nativity of our Lord, and we need to stop for a daily dose of encouragement. Patty? What's in store for us this week? Well, this week is going to be very practical because I know many people are doing lots of preparations and sometimes there can be some real anxiety and stress over gift ideas. And so, you know, we're going to talk about some practical things in a spiritual light. So who is that person who is most difficult on your list to find that right gift? And here's what I want to just throw out. Have you ever considered having masses said for that person's intentions or loved ones. Give a spiritual bouquet of prayers, rosaries, holy hours, or make a donation to a Catholic charity in that person's name. One year I did this for both my mother and my mother-in-law, who had both lost loved ones um, in their life, their siblings, son-in-law, son. And I just thought, you know, even though those people had passed some recently, but some long time ago, I just went up and had masses said. I said, Mom, I wanted to have masses said for for your siblings that passed away, you know, within the last couple years. And the same thing I did for my mother-in-law, for family members that had died. They were so touched by that gift. And I thought, why not share that with other people? If you have someone you really just don't know what to get them for Christmas, get them masses for their loved ones. Or, again, a spiritual bouquet, holy hours, prayers, or a donation, I think, too, as well, to a Catholic charity in someone's name is a beautiful thought, a nice gesture. I just want to throw it out as an encouragement. It really is a beautiful gift to have a mass said for someone's intentions. Patty, thank you for this idea today. So another movie that I love to watch this time of year is the movie White Christmas. And at one point, uh, Bing Crosby's character keeps getting guilted by Danny Kay, who keeps lording over him the fact that he saved him. And uh, Bing finally says, listen, if you ever find yourself under a brick wall and someone's going to save you, I just push him out of the way. And I thought, how often do I do that with God? That I say, Lord, you know, I did this for you. Lord, I did this for you, expecting him to come through then with everything I want him to do. And I just kind of chuckled as I had that realization this morning. But let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of Peace, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to check out the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. And uh, wherever you get your podcast, you can listen to these segments. And if you have some other favorites, you can go back in time and listen to everything that you have loved. In the meantime, uh, tomorrow we'll be with you. We'll be talking about the 12 days of Christmas, which are coming up with Father Jeffrey Kirby. Until then, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Don't forget to pray your rosary today.